You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 476, and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. Megan Marcourt-Ray is an engineering manager from Included Health. She leads a team of software engineers who build out mobile and web experiences to help people get to high-quality healthcare. She's passionate about building inclusive culture, career growth, and making a positive impact. Before Included Health, she worked at an educational startup, Block, where she first stepped into a managing role. Before that, she was at Industrial Light and Magic, Lucasfilm, where she was credited movies for her production engineering work, such as Rango and Pacific Rim. She lives in San Francisco with her husband and Golden Retriever. Welcome to the Ruby on Rails podcast, Megan. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. It's actually my first podcast. We love that so much. Thank you for choosing us for your first podcast. So, of course, I have to ask, what is your developer origin story? Well, I started coding in high school for AP computer science, and I had it in my head that I wanted to be a computational chemist. So I went wow. to, <laughs> I went to Berkeley looking at a chemistry major and computer science minor. Spent a couple years in that, and turns out I just wanted to code. <laughs> and so I switched my minor to my major and graduated with a computer science degree. And I focused on computer graphics. So that's what led me to join Lucasfilm. And I went through a couple different roles, trying to see how I wanted to contribute to the movies. And what I just kept coming back to was wanting to code. It was really fun to build tools for the production and see them use them and get excited when I added a new button. And that was just really great. So kind of set me on my path of building products for people and improving their lives that way. And then from Lucasfilm to Block, thinking about education, and then now at Included Health, focusing on health. Okay, that is such an interesting ride. What was the switch from Lucasfilm to Block? Because Lucasfilm, you were doing computer graphics, and then Block was, for those who don't know, was a very prevalent online developer bootcamp that taught yours truly, Ruby on Rails, and many folks out there, JavaScript and Rails. So what got you to make that jump? Well, in my later roles at Lucasfilm, I was doing a lot of building tools for the artists and the production managers. It was really great to be building those tools and optimizing what they were doing with their work. But I think the focus of Lucasfilm was really the art and the pixels on the screen. And so I wanted my engineering work to be like just as direct to the success of the business. And so I had heard about this magical startup land in the Bay Area. (laughs) And I was in the Bay Area and to not be at a startup felt like, you know what, I need this life experience. So left Lucasfilm, loved working there, but it was great to find a startup that was, could just do a lot of coding where the work was really direct to the success of the business and to do it on a mission-driven product too, because Education around coding is really important to me. Opening up career paths for people that maybe didn't think they were possible before is just felt really fulfilling to find that. That's awesome. And was your first experience in Ruby and Rails when you got to Block or were you doing that at prior roles? Yes, it was. I was in Python before and I did the old Python to Ruby hop. Yeah, able to build a lot of cool things. It was fun. That's awesome. And we mentioned it during the bio, but Block was really your first experience in taking a lead role. Mm -hmm. What made you decide that was a good fit for you? Yeah, it was a great conversation between me and my boss at the time. And I would have feedback for the team, our processes, thinking about the product and 
feedback for peers as well and felt like a natural thing to move into more of a leadership role to manage engineers. So made that switch, managed a few engineers to start and kind of grew from there. Did you ever end up having that moment? Because I definitely did over the last two years where you have someone kind of press you of whether or not you're going to go down that management track versus the individual contributor track. Or did you always know? Yeah, I think I kind of always knew. I think towards my end of time at Lucasfilm, I was doing a lot of maybe like product manager-esque or like tech lead type things of helping organize the roadmap and priorities and stuff like that. I was kind of like, you know what? I need to code as much as I can until I move into this role. And I give that advice to people sometimes too, when they feel like a natural pull towards a management role, but maybe don't have as much engineering and delivering experience yet. Like stay as technical as you can until it's like, you know what, I just got to do this. It's a passion. And so I think keeping on that track as long as you can gives you that more experience that you could use in your managing role too. Is Included Health the first role that you've had where you're not actively writing code day to day? Yes, it is. It's the first place I joined to where I didn't know every corner of the code base like I did with Mock. <laughs> it's the weirdest feeling, right? I am yeah. uh, about 10 weeks at my current role. This is my first role where I am purely an engineering manager. I didn't come in as a team lead or an IC. It is a code base that in theory I could read and be able to write in, but that's not my role. And it is definitely a weird change. Yeah. So one thing that I do want to talk about, Megan, is you're someone who has switched, you know, frameworks and languages before. And so this is the Ruby on Rails podcast. And I think this is an interesting topic. As we move on in our careers, especially if we go towards that management track, of course, how important is it that you join companies where you're familiar with the framework and language already? I think about it in terms of the level of detail you need to be in for the role. If the technology is very important to the product, like it's something unique that enables that product line or that service, that being very in-depth knowledge of that is, is very effective. If you're someone that's leaning in a little bit more to the technical details and the decisions, if you're involved in the PR review, understanding the language and the framework and all the peculiarities that it might bring. I think that's really important. But for other roles, if you're going to have more of an abstract problem solving type of role, then I don't think the framework or language matters as much. I think at that point, it's about making sure you have experts on the team that are familiar and are at that sort of expert or mastery level to best inform how to use that tool. I agree. As someone who has written Rails my entire life, you know, thanks to Block, (laughs) I was really tested at my last role because it was a Rails application, but it was React on the front end, which I knew nothing about. And Mm. so that was kind of me dipping my toes in the water because I learned to speak React without writing React. So I knew about which packages were popular and which ones we should and shouldn't be using. Knew that, you know, if all systems need to be upgraded. So like that's completely agnostic. You know, the big players in the cloud space. It's those kinds of things that you need to know. And you're right. It's about hiring people that you can trust that they're going to be on top of those kinds of things. Yeah, for sure. Do you still ever write code? I do not. No, not even on side projects. (laughs) I think that's important to say that because I think there is this whole thing where a lot of us fought to learn how to code. And Mm -hmm. I'm starting to come to grips with that because 
it was a second career for me. It was your first career, which I'm deeply jealous of. But for me, like, because it was a second career for me, it's a skill that I don't want to lose. And so I'm Mm -hmm. trying to find some small ways to be able to still write code, but I don't think that should be an implicit expectation of engineering managers. Yeah, I think I really thought I was going to miss it a lot when I moved into a manager role. Like I was pretty scared about that. But it turned out that different types of problems I was solving is just as challenging as the coding problems. Like maybe you're not line by line, but you're still thinking about how do you build products? How do you scale systems? And it sort of felt like a different type of just as challenging of a problem, right? I actually didn't miss it as much. But I do like to every once in a while, I said I didn't, but every once in a while, if we're doing a new technical screen or something like that, just make sure I can do that too. (laughs) Make sure I'm not so (laughs) far away from it that it is a reasonable question to ask and (laughs) making sure I'm in tune there. I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm sure you inadvertently end up reading a lot of code as well. So like you absorb it that way as well. Yeah, I don't think the ability to read code, that doesn't go away. It's, I don't find that I've like lost that ability or skill set by moving away from writing it. Love that. So I have a bunch of management questions for you. But before we get into that, I have to take like a very random tangent. I spent two years living in San Francisco. This was 2013 to 2015. I moved out there because like, that's where tech was, right, Megan? Like you had to go where tech was. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I have visited, but I have not visited post-pandemic, you know, when Mm -hmm. the world kind of went remote. What is San Francisco like right now? Everyone is still very much work from home. Okay. Our office did open for a while. It's under construction now, but we did take those opportunities, like go back into the office. But I think a lot of people, as they've worked from home, have really settled into that life. (laughs) And that going back to the office is a whole different switch. So I wouldn't say it's like super crowded. A lot of people kind of staying at home still. (laughs) But when it is going out to like meet friends at a barbecue, it's great to to see them and things are kind of picking back up a little bit. Farmers markets are crowded again. I know that's a good sign in San Francisco. (laughs) Yeah. I always wondered if a bunch of developers like scattered and like are now living in the vineyards. (laughs) (laughs) I think that has definitely happened too. Yeah. Okay. Definitely leaning a lot more into the remote first work culture. There's a lot more of, okay, now how do we come back together as something to solve? So, Do you currently use one service for uptime monitoring, another one for error tracking, another for status pages, and yet another to monitor your cron jobs and microservices? Paying for all those services separately may be costing you way more than you think. If you want to simplify your stack and lower your bills, it's time to check out HoneyBadger. HoneyBadger combines all of those services into one easy-to-use platform. It's everything you need to keep production healthy and your customers happy. Best of all, HoneyBadger is free for small teams and setup takes as little as five minutes. Get started today at HoneyBadger.io. That is HoneyBadger.io. Thank you to Honey Badger for their continued support of the Ruby on Rails podcast. So management questions now. First one, and this one I've actually struggled with, so I'm very curious on your take. How do you approach career ladders? So I have a couple different experiences with career ladders. One was at Block and the other being at Included Health. So at Block, what I was finding with our engineering team is that it was unclear what the 
future levels of careers looks like. What does it mean to be senior? What does it mean to be staff? And the labels that we associate as someone like grows through their career. And so I actually, I did a pretty fun exercise that I liked that would love to hear if people find effective or not. But I, in a one-on-one, I said, tell me how you think about the different levels of engineering careers. It could be number of years. It could be applying labels or just levels one, two, three, four. And then tell me what someone who does that level well is doing. How do they operate? What are the things they're responsible for? And have that kind of conversation. And what I found is people know a lot about their level that they're at, but it gets much more open-ended as you get into those future levels because you don't have the representation there. You don't really know, like, what is a senior engineer? What is a staff engineer, principal, et cetera? And so then I pulled everyone together of, of their different perspectives and then had sort of a collaborative session on, okay, let's align as a group on what it means. And I liked that because it let engineers kind of select into the ladder that they're seeing themselves in and kind of gain alignment on what are the different step level functions of a career. I think that worked really well when it was a small crew and we were kind of sharing ideas and being very collaborative with it. And it let us use that as a tool when we're talking about career growth and performance. So I found that to be pretty effective and pretty bottoms up when it comes to defining that ladder. And then the other experience that included health was coming in and there's a ladder already present. I think there was an individual contributor ladder that was there already that leadership had put together. So some of the like senior engineering managers and CTO were working on and we're working on, okay, so how do we apply that ladder to career growth discussions and performance discussions with engineers as well. And then we also came out with an engineering manager career ladder too, so that I could see how am I operating against my expected level? What does the next level look like? I think that was more put together by Wade, our CTO and other leaders in the company. And what I like about the ladders that we have at Included Help, it's not a checkbox list. It's clear distinctions between the different levels. And it's like flexible enough that you could see your own self in that ladder and the level and also be able to use that across the whole engineering organization. So it might be a little bit open-ended, but it's all about how you use that framework in order to have the career growth conversation. So I think we've got a ladder that we're pretty happy with. There's always ways that you could like iterate and improve on it. But it's, to me, striking a good balance between open-ended, where you can use this across a wide variety of engineers, but specific enough that you can talk about the actual distinctions between the levels. I like that a lot. I know one thing that I have struggled with in the past is I will hire in engineers who are incredibly ambitious. No surprise there. I love ambitious people. And they want to climb the ladder very quickly. Mm. And so they'll take on too much and like they'll just have high expectations that they're going to go up the ladder very quickly. So like a good example, I've had a junior developer try to make it to senior in two years and Mm -hmm. it's just it's too quick. It's just Mm. too quick. And I think some people have the natural ability like they are prodigies at writing code. And most people, it's really fun to watch their skills. But it's setting those expectations very early in terms of how progression is going to happen at the company. And it is okay to give somebody a raise that does not accompany with a title change. 
Mm. That's a thing as well. One of the things that we can do is have wide enough bands in each level to support that compensation change when someone is delivering well and we're able to kind of reflect the performance that they've contributed to the company. When it comes to the fair compensation, I do like to think about it in terms of could we have really nice alignment from the salary bands to the ladder to performance within a particular level so that you can say if someone is operating at the 50th percentile of expectations of a level, that's well aligned to the compensation there. I think you might always have some variation depending on maybe where people came from before and how they were compensated before and how they come in. But being regimented about how salary ties into performance, into the levels, helps make that conversation a little bit easier, I think. Thinking about how do you get to the next level and what does that actually mean? If you have some space in the band, you can make those smaller adjustments. But then the tight coupling of percentile within the band to like how they're performing, that can be a really great motivator. And hopefully there's that like incremental improvement that you can have in there while at the same time talking about now what would it mean to get to the next level and how long would you expect that to take? One thing that is tricky is that timeline. You know, you mentioned uh, someone comes in as college grad and they want to get to senior in two years. I mean, some people can do that, but it's not very typical. I think what's a little bit more powerful than saying, because you could say, oh, that's more like a X number of years growth path typically. But I think helping engineers see what is that next challenge, the step level above, and letting them fill that in for themselves can be a pretty good tool. And I think that means either having them be on projects where someone else is playing that next level role and they're kind of seeing what's difficult about that next level or maybe putting them into a position there on maybe a, a lower complexity type project might start to illuminate, oh, okay, there's actually additional responsibilities here that I didn't realize. Maybe I'm not great at those yet because I haven't done them before. And so kind of demonstrating or like getting them close to seeing the difference between the different levels, I think can be a way that they're realizing, okay, you know what? It's going to take me a little bit longer because that looks hard. (laughs) Agreed. You want them to have that realization. And that actually lends well to the next question I was going to ask you. I don't know. How many engineers are you currently managing, Megan? About 14, I think. That is a lot. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Read somewhere that your cap should be eight. I violate that cap all the time. But it's a good question for you. How do you make sure then with 14 reports, how do you know that your engineers are progressing and are using any tooling in order to help you keep track? Yeah, I think actually our performance review cycle is a good way to keep track of that. So and included help we do performance reviews twice a year. And I find that they're a good you are here marker on the map while having more iterative feedback kind of constantly in one-on-ones. But the performance reviews, that's a good time to say, here's the impact that you've had in the last six months. Here's the level of responsibility you've taken on. And so that translates to operating at the 75th percentile of this level. And that's a good time to say, here's where you were six months ago. It was at the 55th percentile or what have you. But just having that structure and maybe 
looking at those step level changes at the six month increment, I think is really helpful. I'm also someone that like has a one-on-one doc with everyone as well. I don't have a great memory. So I really need that to make sure that everyone's growth path is like right there because we're talking about it in every one-on-one. And I think where possible, this isn't really a tool or a structure, but with every project that we have on our roadmap, is everyone challenged? Is everyone in that slightly stretched role in a direction that we've talked about before in their performance reviews? You can't always line up that challenge to availability of engineer, but I think if you have enough challenges and opportunities, you can get pretty close. You can line up a lot. I think with the number of people, some of those are contractors <laughs> that I have the great help of a technical program manager that helps me out with leveraging the teams. But for our internal, probably nine engineers at this point, a lot of it is just deeply understanding where they want to grow, what they're great at. And I think a lot of that, just understanding the person and how they're trying to move in their career helps push that. Like figuring out how to just always have that on the forefront of our minds in one-on-ones and performance conversations in project retros, just kind of keeping it always in mind has been pretty effective for me. One of the nicest things that one of my reports had ever said to me, which I like very much really cherish, is that I'm really good at finding projects for engineers that are just out of their reach. And so, yeah, I felt really good because I didn't realize that really is a part of being an engineering manager. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't something that I specifically trained for. But I feel that I'm able to do it because I at least have that technical background. I don't think I could do it if I hadn't been an engineer at some point in my Mm -hmm. life. This episode is brought to you by FastRuby. Is your Rails application as secure as you think it is? The cost of vulnerable code isn't just for potential attackers. It's insurance hike rates, reputation damage, potential lawsuits, among other costly consequences. Your peace of mind is priceless. With FastRuby's new service, the Ruby on Rails Security Audit, your application's code, infrastructure, and dependencies will get a full examination. In addition, you will get a comprehensive breakdown of actionable recommendations that will save your development team hours of investigative work protect your digital assets and go to fastruby.io slash security dash audit. Link is in the show notes and thank you to FastRuby for supporting the show. Well, one thing that happened in my own career, I think as I joined Included Health, I was very individually focused and be thinking about how do I set up each person for success in their career. And then I sort of had a shift in terms of my job as a manager is to help the team win. And sometimes there's team considerations that are more important than the individual. So instead of being just focused on each individual getting the right challenges, is thinking more like, what does the team need to do and how can I best line this up? And just kind of realizing, you know, it's never going to get everyone on their perfect challenge. But when possible, there's that opportunity of pushing someone a little bit delivering on something that's important to the business and just making sure when you're setting people up for challenge that there's enough likelihood of success there too. Like you're putting a bet that person's going to be successful and like deliver for the business at the same time that they're growing their careers. And I think it's important for retention too. If you think about the brilliant engineers that we all get to work with, 
if you're bored, <laughs> you're not going to last long. <laughs> There's so much opportunity and challenges out there that as an engineer, if you're not being challenged at your job, and you're not growing, then you're probably looking somewhere else to find that. So I find it like something that's really important to the business to help grow everyone's careers alongside delivering and kind of building up this machine where people get to do their best work. They get to take on career growth opportunities they maybe previously didn't have or are seeking out and it's good for the business. So that kind of balance is something I'm thinking a lot about as we think about our roadmaps, think about our performance, feedback and growth. It's all kind of tied together. I agree. And I think there's a lot of people out there who make the assumption that if you're a software engineer, you always want to be working on the latest sexy thing and that you're always wanting to build Mm -hmm. new features. Some of the most talented engineers I've ever worked with prefer to debug their fixers versus makers. It's knowing what brings them joy and Mm -hmm. knowing that they need to deliver value against the business. But like I've had staff engineers who are very interested in doing like a framework upgrade. But by doing that framework upgrade, my mid-levels are able to churn out features. So like, I agree with you. It's finding the joy within that developer. And it's really listening because sometimes developers tell you one thing and then they do another, which is true of most people, right? (laughs) So like, you kind of have to watch to where they're getting their energy from. So speaking Mm. of developers, I love to discuss hiring. And of course, I've snuck on to the Included Health site. And I was like, I wonder if they're hiring. Oh, you're hiring. Oh, yes, we are. Very much hiring. (laughs) Yes. So tell me about an ideal hiring process for you at Included Health. I think ideal is that I really get to know the candidates early on and understand what they care about and their motivations. I think like we were just talking, some people, you know, you say something, but you might be headed in a different direction. And so when I'm first meeting candidates in the very beginning, I want to know, like, how are you thinking about your next role? Like, what's important to you? What are you optimizing for in your career decision-making. I'll hear things like, I want to be on the latest technologies. I want to use more modern tech or might be hearing, I want a better work-life balance than my previous role. And I really want to understand not just what they're aiming for, but why. And so I think it's a lot of the very early conversation of how do you approach decision-making on this big decision on where to work next and like what's motivating that. Are you wanting to work on the newest technologies because it's an interesting problem to solve or you want to be applying those technologies to really important problems? One of my favorite things to ask is I'll try and figure out where is someone on the spectrum of two different ends. So if you're asking about how interested they are in new technologies, it's maybe you're balancing that with the impact that the team can have. So it's like, Let's say there's two teams in the same company and one, you get to have more of a research and development style. You're exploring new technologies, seeing if those are going to work, but typically only one of those will go into production out of 10. Or there's another team that has maybe less innovation. It's working on a current code base. You still get that opportunity, but you're delivering a lot more. Maybe nine out of 10 projects are landing and having an impact to users and kind of forcing that trade-off where you get a little bit of both. You're not saying pick one or the other, but which way do you lean? It's something that I like to explore and and then ask why after. 
But I think getting into like the motivations and really understanding how they're thinking about the next role is that way to connect and understand. I think a lot of people walk into their interviews with a script. I'm going to talk through my projects. I'm going to tell you what my strengths are. I'm going to tell you what my growth areas are. I think we need to get that information. But at the same time, my favorite parts of interviews are really getting to know someone off script and how they think about decision making and what the next role really looks like for them. So I think the ideal process there is starting pretty early in even just the first calls. And if the recruiter can get that too, if you're working with a recruiter, that's even better because then we're just getting to know people. And like, how would you fit within the organization? Maybe you're brilliant, but like the fit isn't quite right for the team we're looking to build. So some of those like early, just open and honest conversations are great to have. Then I think from there, it's like when we're looking at the technical assessment, it's can they do the job and what can we assess in a small amount of time that gives us the highest confidence that they'll be able to take on the challenges we have ahead. And so I think that will vary when it comes to different seniority levels. So when we're looking at a staff engineer, what we're looking for is like, how do you influence an organization? When have you brought in a new technology or a new framework or process and brought that through an engineering organization? I want to hear about like the trade-offs in the debate. And so maybe that one is more of a conversation focus. But if we're looking for mid-level engineering hiring, we want to see a little bit more of coding. And we're going to try and pick things that feel real to the company and are not just toy problems and not too theoretical, like it feels grounded in the type of work that you will do. So when we're thinking about interviewing questions, always like to think about, is this similar enough to the day-to-day work that it's an accurate enough reflection of their skills? And some of that is just seeing like how comfortable or fluent is someone when they're coding. After seeing like many engineers come through interviewing, some people are just very fluent and can just code and others It's a little bit slower, a little bit more looking things up. But I think just the fluency that we can see sometimes gives an indication of like how natural is it for them to be coding and solving problems quickly. Have you ever had a situation where you have absolutely loved a candidate on the personal conversations you have up front and then were disappointed to see that they couldn't pass the technical assessment? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, that's (laughs) heartbreaking when that happens. And there's a couple of times where I'm like, this candidate is so strong culture fit wise, I will have them do like a take home assessment instead. And for the most part, that tends to work out. But I don't know, it's hard. And it makes me wonder if I should have the technical assessment earlier. But to your point, Megan, like that culture fit, I am looking for people that won't necessarily exactly fit into the culture. I want people to help shape it. But it's really hard because sometimes feels like a roll of the dice, whether or not they're going to pass the technical assessment. And in the end, you need to have a good fit, but they also need to be able to write code. And I think the opposite is true, too. I've had people come through where, you know, on the team fit side is pretty good. And then the technicals are great responses. And then we find out in later interviews, you know what, actually, like culturally, this isn't a great fit. And I think that hurts just as much (laughs) because you want to have that high bar of the person that joins the team is going to fit and grow the culture and have that technical expertise as well. 
And you need both. And that's a high bar, I think. But I've always been very pleased when I do have that high bar and make sure that everyone we're bringing onto the team is going to be effective. Because they may be a great culture fit, but they're going to struggle through delivering. And that's not going to be great for them. And it's not going to be great for the team. Or they're great at delivering, but they're not actually helping like the culture advance to be maybe more collaborative or more innovative or however you want to be shaping the culture. So balancing both, you're never going to get 100% on both. That's where you get those fun like growth areas and things to work on. But you got to say no to some candidates and it is heartbreaking. It's like, no, so close. But part of the recruiting game, I think. <laughs> it is part of the game. Well, Megan, it has been such a joy to catch up. First of all, how can listeners follow you? I'm on LinkedIn, so you can find me there. Wonderful. And if they are interested in included help. Yes, please apply online. We are definitely hiring. We'd love to grow the team with hungry, humble, smart folks who want to have a positive impact to the healthcare system. Wonderful. Well, it was so much fun talking engineering manager with you. Thank you for coming on and giving us all your thoughts around career ladders and hiring. It was just absolutely cool to hear your journey. And yeah, thank you again. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.